Well, thank you, God, so much for the opportunity to gather in your house with your people. Lord, we're so grateful. We have an active community that's just many opportunities to give, to fellowship, to get together in your word. God, we're so grateful. That is a blessing. And I just ask you, God, to fill this place with your presence this morning in a tangible and recognizable way that we wouldn't forget you as we go through our day, as we go through our rhythms of singing songs and doing the things that we normally do. Lord, just come and disrupt anything that you want to. We just invite you. And we're just, we're so just in awe of your goodness, God. So I just ask that you would help us, each of us, wherever we are, in, in rejoicing or in sadness or in stress, God, that you would meet us in that place that you would welcome us into your presence, and that you would fix our eyes on you. You are always worthy of worship. So we gather to do that together this morning, God, as a community, Lord. We thank you. Amen. All right, thanks for your patience, you guys. All right, we're going to sing. That's what I'm good at. We can do that. You 
to worship for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in your patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Let's sing to the God of all comfort this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest grace and teach me some melodious
Your love. 
I mean, just remain in that attitude of, of praise and reflection and response as we enter into a time of prayer. I just want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, because right now, he is the only one who matters. We're here for him. We're not here for anything else. I hope you didn't show up for your favorite song. I hope you didn't show up for a, a you know, fantastic, super awesome sermon. I hope you showed up for Jesus, because he's the only one who's going to leave you feeling fulfilled and completely satisfied as you leave this place. Everything else, spoiler alert, is going to fall short. You're not going to like something. You're going to be offended by something. So I hope you showed up for Jesus. And I hope right now that you just find yourself wanting more of him. Let's pray. Holy God, we take this moment to quiet ourselves and to pause, maybe to take a deep breath and to breathe in your love and to release anything that gets in the way of experiencing your love. God, we are here for you. And, and if some of us are honest this morning and are confessing or acknowledging that maybe we're not totally here for you, God, maybe there's something we're holding back, then God, I just, I pray that we would take this moment to center ourselves before you and that we would just, sit in your presence, linger in this moment just a little bit longer, and God, invite you to come in, to invade every area of our hearts. God, sometimes we, we plan things, and sometimes those things don't go according to plan. God, sometimes there are, are distractions that try to compete and they, they, they work to take our eyes off of you. But God, we know that you are greater. God, we know that your love is stronger and that nothing can separate us from experiencing a fresh outpour of your holy love when we open ourselves up fully to you. God, we take this moment. Whatever happened before now, we just get rid of it. If it wasn't you, if it wasn't holy, if it wasn't pleasing to you, God, if it wasn't praiseworthy, then we get rid of it. And we open ourselves up to you. would you just speak to our hearts? It's ridiculous to plan a, a worship service 
without allowing any time for us to quiet ourselves before you and allow you to speak to us. So God, we just sit in the uncomfortable silence. We don't like silence. We avoid it at all costs. But God, we are going to sit and we're going to wait for you. Here I am, Lord. what is it that you want to say? What is it that you want us to fix our eyes on? God, what is it that you want to remove? What barriers are separating us from you? What keeps us in this moment from experiencing you? God, would you just reveal that to us? Holy Spirit, for the one who is hurting today, for whatever reason, there are many. For the one who feels hurting and brokenhearted, for the one who feels alone, for the one in this, in this room and uh, tuning into this service who feels unseen, Holy Spirit, would you speak truth? Remind us, remind us of your love for us. God, for the one who is anxious, for the one who cannot, as hard as they try, to stop those racing thoughts right now in this moment. God, for the one who is overwhelmed, for the one who feels out of control maybe this morning, God, would you speak. Holy Spirit, would you calm? Would you still? Would you speak peace? God, for the one who is angry, maybe they're angry at you. Maybe their anger is toward another person. Maybe they don't even know why they're angry. God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you calm? Would you give love? Would you extend grace and mercy? Jesus, would you remind us of your perfect love? God, for the one who is sick, for the ones who are feeling physically limited, for those who are frustrated at how their earthly bodies fail them, 
and, and those who are reminded of their frailty this morning, God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you draw near? Would you strengthen? Would you give rest? God, we seek healing. We seek restoration. And Jesus, would you remind us of the truth that this life is not all that we have to live for, that there is so much more waiting for us, and that, God, one day we will experience full physical and spiritual freedom in ways that we can't understand or comprehend. And while that might not remove the things that we are are physically struggling with today, God, would that give us joy? Lord, may that give us some kind of joy to keep on moving, to keep going. Would that be hope for us today? God, I just thank you for the ways that you are faithful. Thank you, God, that when we slow down long enough to notice you, that you speak to us, you inform us. God, you you form and, and reshape us. And God, I thank you for having your way in this place today. Not ours, not what's been planned, but God, we... We want your way because your ways are always better. So God, I thank you. I thank you for reminding me to, to quiet myself before you so that we can all hear from you, the one who deserves all of us. God, as we open up your word, I just pray that you would speak to us, that these words would be anointed. God, that they would be your words. God, we just invite you. We invite you to continue to do a new thing in us here and now. And we pray all of this. In the faithful, holy, sacred name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. I'll need that. Thank you. Now, just in case some of you missed last week and you weren't able to tune in online, and I I have to say it's it's a tragedy that even if you did watch online, you missed a lot because there it's just one of those things that because we don't have cameras on every angle of the sanctuary, there was a lot going on that, that you just wouldn't be able to see. So in case you missed it, last week we talked about worship, and we uh, just did something completely different. We changed the whole service, kind of flipped it up on its head, and we invited our people, our children, to participate in certain worship practices 
that uh, the only purpose for that was to remind us that there is freedom in worship or there should be freedom in worship. And you probably noticed this morning then that even if we all abandoned all the other practices that we were invited to embrace last week, our children did not. And in fact, they leaned into them even more, right? And I I just want to let you know, like, that's different, that's new, it's messy, you guys, it's a little chaotic, and I just feel a holy boldness this morning to remind you that this time of worship is between us and God. And yes, we worship in community, and that's how it's supposed to be. But in worshiping in community, we embrace all of our people in our community and how they worship their God. And we don't limit, we don't quiet, we don't hush, we don't reprimand, we don't say, that's not how you do that. You're, you're just, you need to just, you know, I just want to invite you to wrestle with that with me. I felt it, right? Looking at my own two, like, okay, what's happening here? Are you really, what's going on? Who are you talking to? Right? And so I had to remind myself, like, I would rather walk my children through freedom in worship and have it look messy and me have to kind of guide and steer a little bit and gently remind and encourage. I would rather do that even if it takes years, then have my children feel like they can't worship God in fear of what others might think. I want to train them to worship God with their whole heart, with their whole being. I don't want them to worry about what that's doing to anyone else. And there are, of course, limitations, right? We get that. Like, I'm not, you guys know me. I'm all about balance and there are healthy boundaries, right? But you get what I'm saying? And so if that's different for you or you find yourself feeling a little bit bothered, I'll just call it out. I just want to invite you to, to work with it, lean into it, because I think God is teaching us something good. I think God is helping us to teach our children what is good and holy, and it's all rooted in Scripture, friends. We're interested in what scripture says and how scripture forms us and shapes us. And I'm, I'm on my way to preaching another sermon about worship. And I don't want to do that to you today. So today um, is the last Sunday in this series, Deserted Disciplines. For now, this, we may pick this series back up again later in the future. Uh, but for now, this will bring this particular series to a close. And I did carefully select today's uh, discipline purposefully, you might notice in just a few moments, leading up to the season of Lent, which begins on Wednesday. And so we're going to talk about fasting today. And here's the thing about fasting. If, if we really hold to the truth of Scripture, and a lot of us, I think, really hold to what Jesus says about not making it obvious when we're fasting, right, because we want to appear very holy, and we want others to respect us and, and look at us and say, oh, look how holy And so, right, Jesus, because he specifically calls that out, some of us probably really take that to heart and and we just don't talk about it. We don't, you know, share that or or work through that with others. And so fasting may be something that you do, but but we just don't talk about it very much. Maybe you just um, 
don't have a lot of people that you can really process through that with. And so I just wanted us to talk about what fasting is today. And I wanted us to open ourselves up before God as we are approaching the season of Lent. Now, if you have been in the church for any number of years, you've likely heard of fasting. You've likely, hopefully you've read about it in scripture, right? We, we read in several places in scripture of fasting, If you're reading in the Old Testament, then you likely notice that those who are fasting are doing so in times of mourning. A lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, fasting is linked to a period of mourning. And sometimes through a period of mourning for oneself and and what one person is going through, but oftentimes, I might even like dare to say more often than not, it's an entire community or nation that is in mourning. And regardless of who's guilty and who's not, an entire nation would often come together before God and they would all participate in this mourning, in this lamenting, in this time of fasting as they sought strength and mercy to persevere, as they sought direction from God. That's typically what we see in the Old Testament regarding fasting. In the New Testament, it's not too different. It's not all that different. But a lot of times in the New Testament, we see the church, right? Those who are called by Jesus, those who are pursuing, who are on mission, filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, we see fasting related to this awareness of of strength that is needed, right? There's an awareness of a strength that is lacking, but is very needed. And we see those in the church who are, are opening themselves up before God and acknowledging that, God, we need more of you, To remain faithful, to carry on what you've called us to do, we need to open ourselves up, less of me and more of you. And we see that Jesus, he fasted. And likely your mind immediately goes to places like Luke chapter 4 with this very well-known passage of Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days before entering into the ministry, into his ministry. We're going to look at that in just a few moments. But what about you personally? What does this look like for you? Is fasting a regular discipline for you in your spiritual journey? Maybe for some of you it is a regular rhythm. You don't talk about it too much. There's no reason, right, unless you're working that through with someone else, with another believer. But maybe for you it is a regular rhythm, Maybe there's a certain period of of each week or month or year that you practice fasting. Maybe it's sporadic for you. It's more of just God when I feel like I, I need that. But maybe for you, it's a regular rhythm. Maybe for some of you, it's deserted or neglected because maybe there's a lot of reasons, but perhaps it's because you don't fully understand there's a lot that, that, that is involved and there's a lot that goes on with, with fasting as a spiritual discipline And maybe you just don't really see what's in it for you. Maybe you don't fully understand what you're meant to to receive from that. But if we were really honest this morning, if we just were really honest with ourselves, maybe we would confess that fasting is not a regular rhythm, that it's not a discipline that, that we expose ourselves to often because it's really, really difficult. Can we be honest? It can be really difficult. Because as you know, and if you don't, you're going to know now that fasting 
requires you to give something up, right? In fasting, you are giving something up, typically food or a meal, but also very often we see people giving up things like social media. I think that just as food is, is, fixes and solves a, a physical hunger, social media feeds a different kind of hunger. It's not really a God-given hunger, I don't believe, but it's a different hunger, and, and we find that that's something that's too consuming a lot of times, and so that's a regular thing that people fast. But the point is you give something up, right? You lay something down, you put something aside to seek more of God, and that can be really difficult. Fasting can be difficult because it requires something that we aren't all that great at, if we were really honest, and that is self-denial. We're a pretty, I'm going to get, I'm just going to be real bold today, and I'm always, I'm usually speaking generally, okay? But I think generally speaking, we are a pretty self-obsessed culture. We are a self-indulgent culture. And most advertising that you are exposed to is giving you a very different messaging from deny yourself, okay? That defeats the whole purpose of advertising in case you don't agree, right? They're selling you something, so obviously it's the very opposite of deny yourself. And, And before I get too far into this, I want you to hear this right out of the gate, that, that it's easy to, to combine or mix or confuse self-denial as like we're bashing self-care, okay? There are some people who, for whom self-care is a really big deal and it's really important to them. And so this morning, self-care and self-denial are not opposing one another. And I'm not against self-care. I think there are, I, I think like anything, we can overdo it, right? And I think that culture has tapped into this idea of self-care, like, ooh, we can come at this at a new angle and really sell this, like, you are taking care of yourself, do this for you, and I think it can have the complete opposite effect, but I think when, when done in a healthy way, self-care is good and is important, and friends, self-care is a spiritual discipline, not one that we're focusing on today, but it does not oppose this idea of self-denial, okay? I want you to hear that this morning. Uh, But the problem is, is that I think the self-care handed to us by culture or the the self-care that culture tries to sell us is typically, not always, but more often I think is typically another form of consumerism and it doesn't really have our well-being in mind, okay? A Christ-centered self-care is one that honors God by by doing a number of things, nurturing and protecting the the limits and desires of your body, your mind, and your spirit. It's living within limits so that we don't experience burnout. It's seeing ourselves as God sees us, which is good and loved and valued. But our culture is one, just wanted to make sure that we get that understood, okay, But our culture is a culture that I would argue is a little more self-obsessed and self-absorbed, okay? And so oftentimes, self-denial is difficult because we are often hearing the same message shared in different ways, and that is this message of treat yourself. Any community fans in here? Classic. I watched that clip today. I thought about showing it, but I was like, no, it probably defeats the purpose, but... 
I love a good treat yourself meme. If you know, you know. If you don't, that's okay. You're not missing much. But I love the, the treat yourself meme. And so not, not bashing community and, and what's going on there, but it's a TV show, okay, if you're confused. But, but there's very much this idea that we've held on to, and that is treat yourself. You deserve it. You need to do this for you, right? You need to think about yourself. Do this for you. You deserve it. You work hard. And maybe all of that's true. And I think a healthy dose of this is okay. But here's, here's the tension for me. There's always the tension, right? And here's where I really struggled and wrestled with this this week. I think the go ahead, you deserve it, treat yourself, do this for you messaging, it doesn't line up with what I read in scripture. And that is this call of Jesus, because that's who I'm looking to, who says, deny yourself, lay your life down. It's really difficult to make these two messages line up. And it's really difficult for us to understand where we are to find ourselves. And maybe for some of you, maybe you're already uncomfortable and, and we're talking about deny yourself and that's really difficult. And maybe you're wondering, why does Jesus tell us that anyways? Right? Maybe you're wondering, what is the deal with this deny myself thing? Why am, why am I directed by Jesus to deny myself and to lay my life down? What is it with that? And I appreciate how author Adele Alberg Calhoun, I've shared a lot from her throughout this series, I appreciate how she helps us to understand this tension and how to work out this tension. She says this, she says, through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. And that's what this is about, okay? We recognize what controls us. Our small denials of the self Show us just how little taste we actually have for sacrifice or time with God. This truth is not meant to discourage us. There's no message of shame here, okay? Remember what we sing, leave it at the door, right? Leave it at the door, it's not welcome here. This is not a shame-filled message. So this truth is not meant to discourage us. It's simply the first step in realizing that we have to lay down our life in order to find it again and fully in God. It's necessary, friends. It's good and it's necessary. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said it, right? And I appreciate, oh, listen, I, I appreciate how Jesus, how he doesn't call us to do something that he himself did not do. I so appreciate that about him. I told him that this week, that Jesus, I just love and appreciate how you didn't have to do that, right? He doesn't owe us that. He doesn't owe us anything. But I appreciate even more how Jesus doesn't call us to do something that he himself wouldn't do. And friends, he did it above and beyond what our minds could ever comprehend for ourselves, right? Like, the way Jesus laid, and laid down his life and denied himself, you and I can't even begin to comprehend the ways of, of doing that. You understand what I'm saying? Like in Luke 9, for instance, when Jesus does say, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We don't like that. That goes against everything I hear and, and feel and believe almost, right? We don't like that. But in Luke 9, where Jesus says that, he also says in the same breath, 
that he will be rejected, that he will suffer many things, and that he himself will lay down his life. But before all of that happens, you're probably wondering, when are we reading scripture? (laughs) Before all of that happens, I think we are exposed in Luke chapter 4 to this, what I would call a We're going to go with it again, a tension, a wrestling that Jesus deals with while he's fasting for 40 days. And so you need a moment to just stand up, get that blood flowing for a second. So I invite you to stand if you're able. And we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Luke tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit important, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Don't ignore that. Don't miss that. Jesus was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, just tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, and there's a lot more that we are going to leave untouched today, unfortunately. It just is what it is. But here's what I was really um, dealing with this week. Here's where the rub, if you will, was for me this week. While we can receive a lot of really profound things from this passage, and maybe you have in the past under fantastic leaders and preachers, right? This is a a well-known passage, probably a a passage preached on fairly often, that I, I think that oftentimes we miss out on one of the profound implications of this passage when we don't fully allow ourselves to wrestle with Jesus' humanity. And this is something that a lot of people don't talk about in the church. And I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about Jesus' humanity. But here's the thing. We can talk about Jesus' humanity and and recognize that he is God, that he is God incarnate. And, And I don't think talking about or even wrestling with what Jesus' humanity and human flesh, wrestling with what that meant for him, does not take away from his deity. Do you understand? We are not taking away or removing the holiness or the goodness or the sinlessness of Jesus by talking about his humanity. 
I would say that God would expect us to, as we are human people in these complicated, frustrating, limiting human bodies, that it's understandable that we would wonder, what must that have been like for Jesus? And do we really believe that Jesus would withhold the entire human experience from himself just because he could? Are you with me? Do you see where I'm going? Do you see what I'm wrestling with? I don't know, I'm not saying any of this with absolute certainty, but I do have to wonder, do you think that Jesus entered into the flesh, entered into the mess of this human world, but said, but for me, it's going to be different. For me, it's going to be less challenging. I'm not going to fully expose myself to everything that other human people deal with. That, I'm not sure about that, right? Like, I wonder about that. And I wonder if we fully embrace all that it meant for Jesus to be fully human. That in doing so, in stepping into this world, taking on flesh, that God himself, he subjected himself to every human experience that you and I have. Apart from sin, you understand? apart from the sinful side of, of our humanity, that Jesus experienced things like hunger, okay? I believe that after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. I don't think he was just magically not hungry just because he was Jesus. I imagine that he wrestled with those hunger pains. I wonder if he got hangry. Like, can you, I know you can sin in your hanger, but do you have to sin in your hanger? You don't have to sin in your hanger. You can be hangry. Do we understand what hangry means? <laughs> hungry and angry, okay. You can be hangry and not sin in your hanger. And so I wonder, did Jesus get hangry? Was he irritable and tired of feeling hungry? I wonder if Jesus at times felt frustrated with the limitations that he openly and welcomely embraced when taking on flesh. Did he ever become frustrated with that? I wonder. I have to imagine he did. When Jesus was tested or when people were pushing his buttons, did he become testy? Did he feel frustrated? And could you sense like, oh, he's getting, he's getting frustrated. Like he's, we're pushing his buttons and we can tell, Right? I, that's my like, I, I'm not in full-blown angry mom mode, but I'll be like, oh, the buttons are being pushed. And that's like my nice warning, like, please, please work with me here because I'm feeling very frustrated, right? I know that Jesus, I have to imagine that Jesus had to deal with the mundane, everyday, ordinary, frustrating human things that we all face. And, and I think all of that's important because as Jesus is facing, facing this testing, this temptation from the devil, I don't know that it was like a simple feat. That, that Jesus just threw on his superman cape and said, away with you devil. Like, I wonder how much Jesus struggled with this idea of, you know, I, I am hungry. I, I will acknowledge my hunger in this moment. I think it's too easy to picture Jesus as like the superhuman type, but, but I think if we automatically assume that it wasn't a struggle, 
that it wasn't difficult or challenging for him, I think that we miss something profound if we assume he didn't have to deny himself. Like at what point did Jesus say, I am hungry, but I'm going to deny that hunger in this moment. What was that like for him? How easy was that? How challenging was that? I mean, Luke tells us he was hungry. Luke was very intentional, friends, about what he included in his letters. He was very intentional. It was meant all, I believe everything Luke says is meant to, to alert us to something. And I love how Luke adds in there, he was hungry. He was experiencing hunger. And turning down this temptation to, you know, I could just turn that into bread like that. Turning down this temptation was self-denial. Because listen, what's happening in this passage, the devil, what the devil's doing, even though it's really hard for me to, you know, like believe that the devil really thought that he could defeat Jesus. Like, I, I guess he's ignorant. He feels like he can, right? But, but what he's doing here is he is tempting Jesus to satisfy his desires. That's what's happening here. Satisfy your desires, Jesus. You're fully human. I know you're hungry. I know you're experiencing those fully human things. I know you have these desires to eat. So just satisfy yourself, Jesus. You deserve it, right? You're the son of God. You can do that easily. Just turn this stone into bread. You can do anything. It's yours if you want it. Treat yourself, Jesus. You deserve it. You've already been doing this for so long. Just you deserve it. See that overlap there? The temptation, listen, here's where this I, I feel like is really important. Regardless of whether or not you accept everything or anything I just said, that's okay if you don't. If you reject it all, throw it away, it's okay. It's not a like a salvation issue, I don't think. So but here's where it gets important. Here's why I'm wondering all of this out loud with you. The temptation in this moment that Jesus faced, this, this temptation or this invitation, if you will, to deny himself in this moment had to be challenging for Jesus, and I think that's uncomfortable for us, but I don't think it compromises his deity. But it's important to recognize that full of the Spirit, because that's, he is, right? He's full of the Spirit, and in this moment, even though he may have been struggling and feeling hungry and feeling weak and feeling tired and fearing, feeling irritable and feeling maybe just a little bit like, this would be really nice, I'm really tired, it's been 40 days and I just want to lay down and eat a good meal and rest. But Jesus, full of the Spirit, sees the bigger picture and he sees what's at stake here and he chooses in this moment to deny himself and to find his strength in God, in God alone, not in his human desires. And scholars note, this is important, scholars note the many parallels between Jesus' experience in the wilderness and the Israelites' experience in the wilderness. And scholars like N.T. note that in this moment, Jesus is undoing something significant. Something that will be less significant if we think that Jesus' humanity was no big deal, that it was easy breezy because he was Jesus. But I love how N.T. Wright reminds us that in the wilderness, remember, Israel, what'd they do? 
complained for bread like five seconds after they got there. So where's the bread? Where's, where's the food? Because that's kind of what we were expecting. Where is it? They grumbled for bread. They flirted disastrously with idolatry when God didn't show up the way they thought he should. And they continually put God to the test, which to be clear is what's happening with Jesus in this moment. He's being tempted to put God to the test, to satisfy his human desires rather than God's. And now Jesus coming through the waters of baptism, just as the Israelites walked through water on dry ground as God's unique son, the one through whom Israel's destiny was to be fulfilled, faces a very important question. How is he, Jesus, to be Israel's representative and her rightful king? How can he, in this moment, overcome this temptation to just do what feels good and satisfying to the flesh? How can he deliver Israel and thereby the world from the grip of the enemy? Not just the grip of, of Rome and other political foes, but from the overall enemy here. And the answer is that he must begin by defeating the enemy at the most personal and intimate level. And in this moment, Jesus is going to address all of those things that Israel failed to properly address, and he's going to succeed where Israel originally failed. Friends, Jesus, I don't think, denies physical needs or desires, but we see that his loyalty lies in the strength of God and God alone. And I think this is so troubling for us and frustrating and difficult and all the things because I think when, when we think of laying ourselves down, laying our lives down or denying ourselves, I think we think, you following? I think we think it means that we have to hate ourselves, right? Like somehow we believe this idea that denying myself means I have to hate myself. And I don't really know where that came from, but I understand why that would be difficult, Right? I understand why that's troubling. But again, I lean on N.T. Wright heavily, and I appreciate it how he says, he clarifies for us. The Christian discipline of fasting or fighting temptation is not about self-hatred. You hear that? And friends, it's not about rejecting parts of our God-given humanity, but at the heart of our resistance to temptation is love and loyalty to the God who has already called us his beloved children in Christ, who holds out before us the calling to follow him in the path which leads to the true glory. And in that glory lies the true happiness, the true fulfillment, which neither world nor flesh nor devil can begin to imitate. In other words, friends, the things that this world has to offer, all the things that this world has to offer, they will always fight for our devotion. And there will always be a form of, of appeal there that says, you deserve this. You need, don't deny yourself. Lean into, take care of yourself. You deserve this. This is good for you. 
And it's necessary then that we practice this discipline of denying self so that we are brought back to the one and the only one who can fulfill, satisfy, and sustain because everything else will always fall short. What we long for in this life, we all have those longings, those deep desires and longings. All that we long for in this life is only satisfied when we are in a holy union with God. And it is good and healthy, okay? It is good and healthy to deny things that interfere with that holy union. Some things need to be gotten rid of for good, right? Some things it's appropriate and healthy to say, I just totally reject this idea that that we don't have to deny ourselves. Sometimes it's good to get rid of anything that, that continues to separate us from that holy union with God. If that means you get rid of it permanently, you get rid of it permanently, as long as it lines up with scripture, okay? I could totally see that being twisted. And anything that just needs to be set down for a while because it's interfering with this holy union with God, it is good and healthy to deny that thing and to set it aside so that you can remember where your strength is found in God and God alone. And so... We talked about how how fasting is essentially letting go of an appetite, denying self in order to seek God more fully. Let's talk about kind of the practicalities of what it looks like in a nutshell, okay? So when people practice the spiritual discipline of fasting, this is likely not new information for you, but it's a good reminder that, that yes, people typically abstain from food while fasting, And a lot of times people will abstain from from drink while fasting, like certain kinds of drinks, maybe alcoholic beverages. Some people abstain from shopping because for them that that is an issue, right? It it competes with with this identity and and where your loyalty is found. And, And some people fast from desserts or chocolate and so on to be intentional with God. For some people, it's more of a of a mental consumption. So we abstain from all kinds of media, TV, radio, music, maybe email, cell phones, video games, social media, to allow space to listen to the voice of Jesus that so often has to compete with all the other voices that we expose ourselves to. Amen? Because we do. You don't have to amen it. You do anyways. (laughs) You do it, and and I know because I do it too. There's always competing voices. Some people, this is a little bit different, but some people, I appreciate this, abstain from habits or comforts, like always doing what's convenient, like taking the elevator. My husband does this without, I think, making it an official like fast, but he's always wanting to take the stairs rather than the elevator. And so there, it's just moments to remind ourselves, like the, the easy way is not always the best way, right? Sometimes you have to and it's necessary. Okay reading or watching sports in order to give God your undivided attention. So abstaining from from habits or or comforts or luxuries, things that aren't necessities. Practices of fasting help us to observe fast days and seasons of the church year, like Lent, which we'll talk about as we wrap up here in just a moment. 
When people fast, they are addressing the excessive attachments or appetites and the entitlements behind them. And the idea is to partner with God for changed habits. Practices for fasting should always include, and this is important, repentance and waiting on God. Right? Those, those things kind of go hand in hand. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. The practices of fasting include seeking strength to persevere, to obey, and to serve God wholeheartedly. And, and finally, overcoming addictions, compulsions, whims, and cravings, things that we think will satisfy our desires. I bet right now I could say, what are you addicted to? And you could think about it immediately. I did. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> Scrolling, right? Yeah. It, it's an addiction. We were talking to Nora about this last night, and it's really hard to talk to her about this knowing that I struggle with it too, right? But we are addicted to things. We become, we allow ourselves to become addicted to things. And so one of the beauties of the practices of fasting is overcoming those addictions, those whims, those cravings that do not satisfy. Amen? And, and so why is this important? Why is fasting important? Why, why do I need to have the spiritual discipline of fasting in my life? And this is kind of one that we've seen every week. Because when you give up something, when you deny yourself something that, that is not meant to consume you, to, to be all-consuming, you are keeping company with Jesus as you relinquish that thing. It's just perfect, as perfect as it can be here Harmony and community with Jesus and him alone. Hopefully, as you pray and fast, reg- or as you fast regularly, you are becoming more aware of the needs in the body of Christ because, spoiler alert, fasting isn't just about us. And guess what God got really mad about in the Old Testament when you read about fasting? He got big mad at people who fasted because it made them holy and they, they patted themselves on the back because of how great they were for fasting. And God said, what good is this doing because you're neglecting the needs of your brother and your sister? And, and getting rid of something is to make you more aware of me and I'm always going to make you more aware of others. Okay? And so our fasting always has in mind what God wants to tell us or remind us about others. Another God-given fruit is identifying and fellowshipping with Jesus by choosing to follow his sacrificial example. In other words, even though we can't fully understand what Jesus went through during that time of of fasting and self-denial and wilderness, it does give us an opportunity to identify him with him in a way that we otherwise perhaps couldn't. It's meant to free up more time for prayer. Again, it's not just for you. It's not just so I can sit here in silence. It's communion with God. The, the practice of fasting is meant to be a time of, of repenting of this self-indulgent, addictive, or compulsive behaviors that we absolutely have. It's letting these small deprivations remind you of Jesus' sacrifice, of his great sacrifice on your behalf, right? He did it for us. He did it for us. And finally, we seek strength from God that helps us to move on in obedient love and service. 
And this is the last thing. This is the last time you have to hear me say for a long time, flex this spiritual muscle. Here's some spiritual exercises for you. And this is just to kind of give you an idea of what, if if fasting is not something that you regularly do, these are meant to give you ideas of of how you can incorporate fasting into your life. Remember, friends, I hope, I didn't always remind you of this throughout this series, but this is not meant to feel like you're walking away with an unbearable amount of homework, okay? Not all of these will apply to you, and quite frankly, it's too much for you to take on at once. The goal is to just take one thing away from this entire series of here's something I can do that I wasn't doing before. And hopefully you've already, you've already been talking to God about what that one thing is, not I'm doing this because the pastor said I need to so I can be a better Christian. It's not, that's not what we want, okay? So I hope that you have remembered that. I hope. But, but one thing that it can look like for you is to fast one meal a week. If you want to make this a regular discipline, that's one way to do it. Fast a meal a week. Spend that meal time in prayer when you feel those hunger pains. Because guess what? I fasted before, and I can hear, I'm here to tell you that the hunger doesn't just magically disappear, right? God is faithful in the hunger, but it doesn't just always disappear, And so when you feel hungry, you inevitably will sit with Jesus in that wilderness and feed on the bread of heaven. Feed on the bread of heaven. Talk to Jesus about what this self-denial means to you. Be real honest with him. I think he can handle it, okay? Or another thought is for a period of one week. Fast from media, from social media, from sports, from shopping, reading, or using the computer. Those are just a a list to get you started. I think fasting, if you haven't done this before, a week is a good start because the first time I, I think the first time I ever participated in a meaningful fast of social media, it was during Lent. And I'm just going to tell you, that is, if I wasn't aware of my addiction before to social media, I was then because I was feeling all kinds of things. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be so uninformed. How am I going to know what's going on in the life of the people that I follow? And it's, it's, I'm letting it show. It's embarrassing. It's real. It's raw. It's vulnerable. But starting off with a week is not a bad idea because it's really, really hard if it's something that takes up a lot of your time. And the goal is to dedicate that time you now have to God. And talk to him about the feelings that arise in you. When I was fasting social media, I was aware of those feelings. And I had to say, God, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that this means so much to me. And it's competing with you, right? Like, I had to do some serious soul searching and repenting. We got to keep going. To deepen your understanding of how Jesus denied himself. This is something that you do while you're fasting. And you embrace that suffering and that death that he experienced for you. And I hope that when you do that, that it will maybe encourage you to practice some sort of fasting during the season of Lent. That's kind of where I want to end today is is with this strong encouragement for you to consider fasting something during the season of Lent. I was very purposeful in how I planned this series to end with this sermon on fasting leading up to Lent. 
Because a lot of times we come into the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday and we're talking about fasting and a lot of times I think we haven't even had a second to consider what we might fast. And so maybe in the haste of the moment we're like, oh, I'll give up this. And it's really not all that meaningful. Right? And so what my prayer, this was intentional, my hope is that over the next few days you could strongly consider, and I, I urge you, to strongly consider what it is that, that God might be calling you to lay down or to deny yourself throughout the 40 days of Lent, beginning on Wednesday. So that as we enter into Ash Wednesday, as we gather together for our Ash Wednesday service, you've already got that thing in mind, and hopefully day one, you've already begun the practice. And during this season, we'll talk more about this on Wednesday, we are entering into the wilderness with Jesus. And so it's good and holy and appropriate to talk about what all that means with Jesus. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we close this series. And Ash Wednesday, I think I said this earlier, will serve as kind of a part two to today's sermon because today we talked about a lot about the actual self-denial part of fasting. And on Wednesday, we'll talk about the other things that should go hand in hand with that denial. And as we enter into a time of response, friends, you know how I talk about that pastoral urgency sometimes? I don't want to just like whip that card out anytime and just use that to like get your attention, but I really felt this pastoral urgency to challenge you all as much as I can to enter into the season of Lent intentionally this year. Like, what would it look like if we didn't just look at the season of Lent as just another liturgical practice that maybe you don't even really understand, if we're being honest? What would it look like to, to not enter into the season of Lent like we're just checking a box that the pastor wants us to check? I don't like to do things that aren't meaningful, and I find the season of Lent to be extremely meaningful when done intentionally. If it's not meaningful for us, then likely we didn't fully embrace it and we weren't very intentional about it. I believe that. What if we entered into the season of Lent and we opened ourselves up fully and completely to God? What would happen if beginning right here and right now, what would happen if we were really open and honest before God about what needs to change in our lives, what we need to lay down, what we need to deny ourselves so that we can experience more of God? Would you even be willing to ask God to reveal that to you this morning? Spend the next few days in prayer asking God, what is it that I can give up so that I can receive more of you? And church, I would love it. It would be such a blessing for all of us. And I think we will experience that and feel that if we showed up on Wednesday, day one, ready to receive more of Jesus. Do you want more of Jesus? I do. I need. It's not just a want, it's a need. And so God, we enter into this time of response and reflection. And hopefully we do so ready to 
open ourselves up fully to you. God, would you speak to us? Remove everything I just said, anything that got in the way, anything that, that's, that's tripping us up, God, and would you and you alone speak to us? Invite us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Nothing is a sacrifice And use me how you want to, God Have your throne within my heart I hear you call And I am God, may we ask for the strength to say you can have it all. God, I pray that that you would continue to confront the things that, that take first place in our lives. And God, as we enter into the season of Lent, we are reminded that the season of Lent is not a season that is meant for closed fists. God, it's a season that that demands open hands. It's a season of release. It's a season of death, of dying to self so that we can be raised to new life in Christ. I know for a lot of us, it's going to take a lot to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, but God, May it be so in you. May you challenge us. May you stretch us. May you continue to grow us and shape us, God, so that we look more like you. That is what this is about. So God, here we are. We open ourselves up to you, and we wait, and we watch what you do. We wait expectantly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, friends, I'm going to do the benediction. I know it's, it's probably easier to have the lights on here. I got it. We're, we're switching things up. Remember, we, uh, oh, sorry. We're switching things up for the service so that we can, <laughs> kind of defeated the purpose just now, but so that we can leave in step with Jesus, okay? So, friends, May you go in the grace and peace and power and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, who wants to encourage you to lay down yourself so that you can receive more and all of him. May you go and do so in the power and strength of Jesus' name. You are dismissed. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday here at 630.